should wait to come out, that you should uh, try to gain rank or status before you do that. That's a bunch of bull It's a new day in the music industry, and I can reach my fans. We're getting there. I've caused harm to the political agenda, and which I'm actually happy for. I would say probably the best message to them is that they're on the wrong side of history. Whether you're lesbian, gay, bi, transgender, or whatever, Love is love. Shout it out to the world. The Michelle Miao Show. Your A through Z covering the LGBT, LMNOP, and everyone in between show. And now here's your host, Michelle Miao. Welcome. 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 Happy Monday. Uh, it is Monday, I should say March 21st. Yes, I got it right. <laughs> I never know what day it is. I'm Michelle Miel, your host, and thanks so much for joining us here on this program. The show is is pretty much your A through Z covering the LGBT, LMNOP, and everyone in between show. Our, uh, our, our lovable, amazing producer dude, Dennis Cruz, is here in studio helping me put this week's show together. Thank you so much for being here, Dennis. You got it, Michelle. Did you have a good weekend? Greatest weekend ever. Oh, <laughs> you know what? I don't know why, but I... Think I'm being sarcastic? Like, you just yeah, put, you're being sarcastic. <laughs> you just put quotes around it. In um, my other job, I'm driving people around, so I had uh, uh, three different tours of different uh, success and took a bunch of prom kids somewhere, had a great family yesterday, went to wine country, which I know you like wine. Yes, I do. We went so, to some nice wineries. So you do you always drive cool people? No. <laughs> <laughs> well, here's the thing. I, I, I'm driving charters right now, and... Uh, and what you do is when you get up to wine country, as we go to uh, to winery after winery, people get progressively more housed. Mm-hmm. You know, they're getting drunker and drunker. And by the end of the one on Saturday, it was like, this is out of control. Oh. Actually, I had to stop the bus and say, listen, I don't mind you dancing, bumping your music, but don't try to turn the bus over rocking it oh, while, no. I'm, while I'm on the freeway doing 65. Ay. <laughs> not fun. No, no. Not fun. All good. Well, I, I had a great weekend as well. I spent it with a bunch of uh, queers or LGBTQI people. <laughs> oh, wow. I've mentioned before I'm the board president for San Francisco Pride, so I put on this retreat uh, for the entire board. And, uh, man. Um, totally successful? I would say so, uh, definitely. But it's always, it's always interesting to be in a, a group, uh, a private group, of very interesting, different people. People are interesting, aren't they? Yes. I would say eccentric is a good good word. <laughs> anyway, happy Monday, everyone. Let's get our program started. Today's show is brought to you by Pacific Fertility Center. When life needs a little encouragement, Pacific Fertility Center will be right by your side. Visit PacificFertilityCenter.com. Our guest today is the award-winning director of a movie that is uh, coming out, and I can't wait to see it, um, but it's sold. It's about a young girl uh, who leaves her village in Nepal with the hopes of working in a big city uh, in India, but finds out that she's been trafficked into a prison brothel. So here to talk about Sold is Jeffrey Brown. Jeffrey, welcome to the program. Thank you, Michelle. Great to be on your show. Uh, we have touched on the topic of human trafficking before, but um, I'm excited about this movie because it, it's a little different. We've talked about it in ways in which we featured voices from uh, adult women, 
But, you know, there's uh, we we definitely definitely need to address this big issue, this problem that the girls are oftentimes a lot younger than than we think. Right. Yeah. uh, You know, with the AIDS pandemic uh, globally, um, buyers of sex uh, want younger and younger girls. And the traffickers put out a rumor that if you get a young girl, you'll live longer, you'll rejuvenate your vitality. Um, so girls are being sold as young as nine and, and even younger, but the global average age of trafficked children, whether they're boys or girls, for sex trafficking is 13. Um, oh. That's true everywhere. So that's a shocking fact in and of itself. And expat um, estimates that 1.8 million children are trafficked every year. And the International Labor Organization, which... Um, you know, adds together uh, labor trafficking and sex trafficking of children, says 5.5 million children are enslaved in our world today. So it is a huge human rights issue, which really is not getting enough attention. Um, And that's why we made our film, to put someone in the shoes of one girl and through one girl's story, give a voice to the millions of children who are trafficked every year. Absolutely. Now, this film here, um, you know, touches on countries like India, like Nepal. Um, and it's easy for, for people to think that uh, human trafficking, is, you know, it, it happens at one certain location or geographical location. I'd like to touch on, on that and kind of like what were your findings as far as working on this film and, uh, and, and focusing on countries like India and Nepal? Well, before I did the film, I didn't know very much about it. Now, unfortunately, I know way too much, and I'll never be able to forget it. Um, And so before the film, I thought, you know, there are people trafficked, you know, all over the world, and um, it's a problem, and um, it's an issue, and it's a horrific thing that happens. Uh, But I didn't know the amount of people involved, and I didn't know so many were children, and I hadn't met any of them. Um, Now that we made the film, before we made the film, uh, Jane Charles, the producer of the film, and I went to India and Nepal multiple times. We went to seven NGOs. We probably met 2,000 kids who had been trafficked children from age 9 to about 17, 16, mm-hmm. average age about 14, 15. And, you know, those kids just live in our hearts, uh, and we're just uh, working very hard to make our film serve them. Uh, you know, Soul is kind of on a mission to end trafficking of children. And um, the way we're doing it is we're going to use our film uh, in communities, not just in movie theaters. Yes, it's, it's coming out in movie theaters across the country. Um, and if you go to our website, soldthemovie.com, and you click on screening, uh, it'll give you a list of all the places it's screening. It opens in the Bay Area April 15th uh, in multiple theaters. Um, but we also really want to bring our film to communities. We want rotary clubs, uh, churches, um, gay pride activists. Hmm. We want everybody to, you know, screen our film and use it as a fundraising tool to support organizations either locally or internationally. Um, our film really sort of cracks your heart open to this issue. And, you know, I feel like all issues, whether it's, racism or sexism or um, other-ism, they always come down to making someone else lesser than you or mm-hmm. um, different from you, this otherness thing that we do to each other. And that's really 
at the at the root cause of trafficking. You know, often trafficking is um, one race trafficking another race, or one status economically trafficking a, a lower economic status. Absolutely, and and I think that that was you know the heart of why I wanted to have this conversation with you. More and more, you know, voices are being heard about uh, human trafficking and sex work, but that it's inclusive of sexual orientation and gender identity. So many trans women or young LGBTQI people who don't have a home to go to because, uh, you know, their parents had kicked them out for, for being gay um, might resort to something like this or, or, or I guess, falsely believe that they're a part of something in hopes that they're they're going to have a better life, which is, you know, I started out by saying um, that's kind of what the main character of this film, Lakshmi, you know, thought that she was going to this big city and she's going to have an incredible opportunity. Let's go through the process in terms of, um, you know, I, I don't want to use the word tricked, but how kids might fall into this if it's if it maybe at times they're manipulated into it and not all the times are they forced or kidnapped, um, right? Yeah, so it looks a little different. Uh, you know, there's a couple of different scenarios domestically and internationally. Um, in our story, a girl is uh, from a very poor Nepali family. Um, she's uh, in the Dalit caste which is the poorest caste, and she's offered a job um, to work as a domestic servant in India. Her parents are given money, um, and um, that's an advance on her salary. Um, And then she's taken to a prison brothel, and there she kind of tries to survive, makes friends, helps everyone around her while she's planning her escape the whole time. So that's called bonded slavery, bonded sexual slavery. They, they tell her that she has to work off the debt to get her freedom again, uh, that the, the money that they gave to her parents, she has to work it off. Um, meanwhile, you know, they, she's been duped, her parents have been duped, um, and um, she can never work off the debt because they're constant deduction for the, the bed that she's staying in, the electricity for the television for the bribes, for the police, etc. So she can never get out of that slavery. And it's very similar in um, bonded labor slavery. There's a debt as well. Often, you know, going back to U.S. slavery and sex slavery in particular, what happens is a, a kid, a young teenager, is um, either raped at home by a boyfriend or somebody. Um, about 80% of the kids have been sexually violated at home. They run away to get safe and it's sort of out of the frying pan into the fire, the, the traffickers and pimps are trolling for them, looking for these kids. They um, take them in. They're really nice to them for about a week or two. They find out everything, all their secrets, all their hopes and dreams, and all their fears. And then they completely know how to manipulate them. And they coercively, um, both physically coercively, force them into it, but also mentally. Um, so in other words, if you're a girl and your trafficker, your pimp knows where you live, he's going to say, I'm going to kill your your family if you don't do what I tell you. Um, And often, you know, the kids who are sexually enslaved don't get to keep any of the money. The pimp gets all of it. Um, He uh, or she uh, feeds them minimally. They they can't come back until they've serviced their quota of customers. You know, it's a very brutal process, and, and whether it's India or the U.S., um, you know, these kids don't survive for very long. It's about a four or five years 
um, that they can survive if they're lucky. And then usually they get HIV or AIDS um, or, or something else uh, worse, you know. A, a lot of these kids are brutalized uh, physically and, um, and many of them are killed, especially the transgender um, the kids who are prostituted. Um, those, are, those are killed even more frequently. You know, but it's, we're talking about <clears throat> slavery in the most brutal archetypal form, you know. Um, and a lot of the kids that I met had uh, cigarette burns, um, teeth knocked out, broken bones that had had to heal. You know, that we're talking about real brutality. So our film takes you into this dark world, but it takes you in in such a way that you can um, you can witness it and also root for this kid because uh, she's totally um, you know filled with life force. She's got a really good heart, um, and she, her will is never broken. So people leave our film, and, and they're, they're sad that this is happening, but they want to do something about it. And that's why we made our film, to bring more and more people into the issue of doing something about slavery uh, globally, especially young people, because when they find out that teenagers are getting trafficked, they're, they're, they become very passionate activists and abolitionists. Thank you so much for you know bringing this film uh, to to light and for making it. And uh, I know that you know yes, films can have messages. And oftentimes, uh, you know, me personally, it's nice when filmmakers um, produce and create films that touch on things that we need to pay attention to. But it's another thing when you actually want to follow up and make it a better place for everyone. Uh, I should mention that the the film does include a wonderful cast. The ensemble cast includes Gillian Anderson and David Arquette. Um, You know, what are your feelings in terms of uh, the cast, Jeffrey? Absolutely thrilled to be working with these uh, actors and actresses. Well, we um, were very fortunate. We had an amazing casting director in in Mumbai, and um, we knew the whole film was based on one kid. You know, like she's sort of the center pole of the whole film. It was going to be on this young person's shoulders. We saw a thousand kids before we cast our lead, and she is phenomenal. And so are the rest of our cast. Uh, Jillian's phenomenal. Uh, David Arquette's great, and we have, uh, you know, a really incredible uh, award-winning uh, ensemble cast. Seema Biswas, who's won every award in India, she was in the film Water. Talota Mashome, she was in the film uh, Monsoon Wedding, and many others. Ankur uh, Vikal, he was in Slumdog uh, Millionaire. He was the bad guy in Slumdog Millionaire. He's like the, <laughs> the kindest, most gentle, soft-spoken guy, but he plays the most intense bad guys, and he's <laughs> one of the bad guys in our film. Um, we have a great cast. And we, you know, this was Bay Area hatched, this film. Uh, Rosalind Swig is our executive producer, and Regina Scully and Emma Thompson. And, uh, you know, Sissy and Regina are both Bay Area, and I'm Bay Area, and Joe Kwong, uh, the, the writer, um, is Bay Area. So we, we created this labor of love here. Uh, we've been on it for nine years, and part of the reason it's taken us so long to bring it out to the public is we this last year we've been working to collaborate with Save the Children, World, um, World Vision, um, 
and ECPAT and just so many other you know phenomenal organizations that are going to really help us make a change um, in this issue both domestically and, and globally. Absolutely. We're going to take a quick break right here, but when we come back, I want to continue our discussion about your film Sold, so don't go away. And we'll also give information to people out there who uh, want to be a part of this change that we seek to see in this amazing film. Don't go away. The Michelle Miao Show continues right after this. You're listening to the Progressive Voices channel on TuneIn. Please help us grow. Tell your friends to tune in to Progressive Voices. Find out more at ProgressiveVoices.com. When asked, 90% of seniors say they want to remain in their own homes as they age. Hello, I'm Charles Symes, owner of Allegra Home Care. Our caregivers have been serving seniors and the aging community for over 20 years. Allegra Home Care is the only Bay Area home care agency that is LGTB certified. Helping LGTB seniors stay at home is our passion. Please visit us at www.alegrecare.com. Allegra Home Care, serving your community. This is a true story about two best friends who fell in love and moved across the country to the city by the bay. After many years of dating, Jen and Jacqueline are now planning their dream wedding. It's a big moment in everyone's life when you say I do, especially when you can make choices for your authentic life and your loved ones too. Congratulations, Jen and Jacqueline. Live your authentic life. A special message brought to you by Weatherford BMW. Babe, I think we're ready. We're really doing this. Yeah, I'm ready for our family. So where do we start? (laughs) Starting a family is a team effort, and when life needs a little encouragement, Pacific Fertility Center will be right by your side as a unified team of the best fertility specialists guided by the highest ethical standards Pacific Fertility Center provides patients with compassionate fertility care. Visit PacificFertilityCenter.com. And now, back to the Michelle Meow Show. Welcome back. Thanks so much for joining me uh, on our program today. It's Monday. I'm Michelle Miao, your host. Our special guest today is award-winning director Jeffrey Brown on his new movie coming out, Sold, which is based on the global bestseller by Patricia McCormick. And the movie features a young 13-year-old girl, Lakshmi, who uh, leaves her home in hopes that uh, she will have a better life, a big job uh, for her in, in in a city in India. But unfortunately finds out that she has been trafficked um, as a uh, sex slave. And so we're talking about the, the, not just the movie, the film, but also Jeffrey's point of making sure that when you see the film, you know, we all want to do something about this. So Jeffrey, I don't think I've ever asked, even though, you know, we have touched on this subject before, but obviously, you know, the market, there's, there's consumers, there's customers who are in my mind, evil enough to pay money for, for this act. Who are these people? And, and, you know, why is this happening? Well, you know, I think uh, most of them are men. Um, Not all of them. Um, I think in some countries, the demand is, is higher than others. The 
because there's cultural overlays um, in India and Nepal. Um, <clears throat> um, women, uh, if they're not virgins, will and, and people know that they're not virgins, they will never get married. No one will marry them often. Um, you know, so there, there are cultural overlays that make it even more intense. Also in India and Nepal, um, if you're a um, young uh, girl and your family's poor, uh, they need a dowry to marry you. Um, and um, if you don't have a dowry, uh, they, that girl will not have a, a husband. So that the answer in those countries largely is education to create uh, more equality and parity between boys and girls. Um, if you educate children till 16, their chances of being trafficked drop 80%. Um, and in this country, who are the buyers? They're, you know, they could be married people. They could be um, um, kind of serial predators. You know, they could be uh, um, people uh, who uh, prey on children. You know, there are all kinds of different people that buy sex. And what happened in Sweden is something called the Nordic Protocols. Um, they made uh, selling of sex legal. They provided um, uh, incredible resources for women and men who wanted to transition out of selling sex. Uh, and um, they also made, they criminalized buying sex and, and being a, a pimp or a, or a trafficker. And there were very steep penalties for that. And they almost completely eliminated trafficking in Sweden. And so many European countries are now beginning to follow this Nordic protocol. And we need to get closer to that here as well. Um, and that's, I think that's ultimately the answer, is mm -hmm. to criminalize the buyer, um, you know, really penalize them. But I, I have compassion for everyone in this issue, even the buyers. I feel like they are people that need healing. Um, often, if they're buying children, they have been preyed on as children. Um, and so there's a healing that needs to happen. And, and it, even the traffickers and pimps, if you look at them, if you look at their profile psychologically, it, it mirrors the profile of the girls who are trafficked. In other words, these pimps and traffickers were physically and sexually brutalized as children themselves. And so that's, that's what makes them operate this way. And so, you know, when they're healed and when they're, um, you know, made, uh, made able to kind of like um, be themselves again, their innate selves, uh, they become activists in the abolitionist movement as well. Uh, you know, there are many uh, ex-traffickers and pimps who are helping to rescue kids. Um, so the best way to, to you know, uh, fight darkness is with light. Uh, the best way to fight this kind of uh, hatred is with love. And I try to bring compassion to everyone in this issue because uh, that's the only way it's going to really change. Thank you so much for, for saying that. And because um, I, I kind of asked it from a place of darkness. And, you know, if we, we translate that to um, the main character in the film, Lakshmi, I mean, it, it, she had to get to a place um, of love and forgiveness and, and have, you know, this incredible will to live in order to break free, right? Yeah. Um, she has to also be not afraid of dying, you know. And, um, and I think what happens to a lot of the kids who are trafficked is they literally have to face death uh, at different points in their journey. And so if they come back to life fully, um, and, and one of the things, our film is, 
partnered with so many organizations, but one of the things I'm very passionate about is something called IRES Yoga Nidra. It's a healing modality that, we're, that we've uh, translated into Nepali and Hindi, and we're working with survivors in Nepal, and uh, we will work with survivors in India, and we're also working uh, in the Bay Area um, and also in, in L.A., at CAST L.A., um, IRES Institute and Richard Miller and, and all the people that he has trained are now training survivors in this modality, which is, you know, when you have major trauma, uh, what happens is you, the, um, the trauma goes into all these different areas of your brain. And so it, it becomes a hardwiring issue, and you really need something um, that will be with you as a practice, as a daily and, and weekly practice to, to rewire the brain out of that fight or flight modality. And IREST is really profound, and it, it helps people really recover from PTSD. It's being used widely in the VA. It's being used with homeless people. Um, and, um, you know, it's very effective. And, and the great thing about it is it comes from India, so bringing it back to India is going to be easy. Um, but it's also... Um, something that, that we can train survivors to be the, the certified teachers of. So then it'll be survivor to survivor, which will be wonderful. Um, and there's a lot of other things we're doing. Vocational training um, for survivors uh, is really critical as well, because uh, if you're a trafficked child in India or Nepal, you frequently cannot go home because of the shame and stigma. So you're on your own. And so we're bringing uh, different communities to support these kids and different experts to help them, um, you know, have vocational skills and, and to heal. I'm, I'm hearing so many layers of, of human, you know, human rights issues um, in just everything that you're saying that it's not, it's not, yes, the film is focused on the subject of sex trafficking, but you've been able to explore different depths of of humans and how we relate to each other. Um, Is that how you feel, uh, you know, after completing the film and then now, you know, in the post journey, uh, you're continuing to talk about the things that we can do from a healing perspective that far exceeds just the subject itself? Yeah, for me, this film is a metaphor. I mean, when you're incarnated on this planet, we're all, um, you know, brutalized here. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, especially if you're different, if you're, you know, gay, bi, transgender, you know, you're going to be brutalized more. Uh, but if your skin is a different color, if you're a different religion, if you're, if you're different in any way, uh, you're going to be brutalized. And um, so for me, the film is a metaphor uh, about, uh, you know, there's a, my favorite quote is a quote from Tasso. Um, it, it's, it's any time not spent on love, it's wasted. It's really simple. And this is a, you know, the message of the film is um, that we, you know, we really need to take care of each other as family because that's the only way we're going to get through everything that's confronting the world right now. Um, but I, I just want to do a shout out for um, everyone getting to our website so they can learn more. Buildthemovie.com. Mm-hmm. Um, it's being screened, you know, in the Bay Area on the 15th. We open here in the 15th in, in a lot of theaters in San Francisco at the Kabuki, San Rafael, uh, at the Smith San Rafael Center, Rialto Elmwood in Berkeley. Um, then we're going to go to San Jose and Sonoma. Um, but go to our website, com, and go to screenings, and you'll, you can see where it's playing all over the country. And also you can bring the film 
to a theater near you and use it as a fundraiser for one of our partners or for an organization that you believe in and that's helping traffic kids. That's really what we want to do is make this film fulfill a mission of helping kids to join the movement to end modern slavery and screen our film at a local theater Ugh. to raise funds. <laughs> I just think you've got such a beautiful soul and the uh, the perfect person to, 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 to work on this film. Uh, I want to touch on, uh, before we let you go, on the fact that uh, you had just mentioned you can bring this film to your community, and you mentioned it before, but let's repeat that, that it, this isn't necessarily just about one race or one gender. Uh, that you wanted to bring all communities to, to see this film, right? Yeah, and, you know, we really want communities to see the film because communities, there's such a power in communities acting together. And frankly, the, 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 uh, the community that your, that your radio station speaks to is very active in this issue, and they're real proponents of and protector, protectors of children because often they have been also brutalized as kids. And so we really want your help to, you know, help our film help kids who are out there on the streets to get off the streets and heal and, and have lives of freedom from fear, whether it's, you know, from a pimp or fear that's been instilled in them from their cultural lineage. Um, and last question before I let you go. Obviously, I mentioned it uh, <laughs> right before the break. Uh, I work with San Francisco Pride. So selfishly, I want to bring this film. I know it's going to be here in the Bay Area in um, uh, theaters, but it would be great if we could do this film specifically with San Francisco Pride. So is it okay if I reach out to you? Totally, yeah. Let's have a screening just for San Francisco Pride. I, I was so happy this last Pride March, you know, when the law got passed, it was just that was just such an ecstatic day for humanity. Um, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. But even even that, right? We still have so much work There's to do. So and far to go. We are, and you're one of the beautiful humans touching on the intersections of our lives and and pointing out that you know these issues that we face as humans. Um, we need to bring attention to that too. So Jeffrey, thank you so much for being here with us on the program today, and thank you for this for this film. It's been an absolute pleasure, Michelle. Thanks for what you're doing in the world and your uh, incredible light that you keep putting out there. Thank you. Jeffrey Brown, everyone, he's the Academy Award-winning director of the movie Sold, and we just mentioned that this movie will open up in the Bay Area April 15th. So for more information, you can head to soldthemovie.com. Don't go away. The show will be right back. You're listening to the Progressive Voices channel on TuneIn. Please help us grow. Like us on Facebook and share us with your friends. Find out more at Facebook.com slash Progressive Voices. Hi, my name is Courtney Ziegler, and I'm the founder of TransHack, which is an organization focused on creating technology for the trans community and visibility for trans technologists and entrepreneurs. Tech is like the new industrial revolution. There's so many opportunities for wealth building and wealth creation. It's perfect for the trans community, which experiences strong amounts of unemployment um, and low wages. TransHack um, provides an opportunity for trans individuals to take advantage of the wealth creation that 
the tech industry provides. Um, it's a space in which people who are in charge of innovation and development, all these awesome things that we are able to use through technology, are paid really well for that. And so I think that trans people should definitely have their hand in, in that space and creating that. And so TransHack provides that opportunity. I got my first computer when I was 15 years old in the 90s, and it changed my world ever since then. And I went on to become an independent filmmaker who had to uh, not only write direct my own films, but also was just kind of doing the technical stuff behind it, which is the editing and the capturing and all those things. I've always had this kind of tech-based background. I'm just very curious about a lot of things and just very fascinated about things that I don't know um, and things that can make me a better person. All of that motivates me. I'm just like, what else can I know? What else can I do? What else can I learn? Success to me means a number of things. I think right now in my life personally, it means waking up every day and feeling proud of the work that I'm doing and proud of myself. Just know what you want to get out of any particular industry. Um, it's not an industry that's 100% inclusive in the ways that it should be, in the ways that it's progressing towards, of all types of people in terms of creating the tech and the industry itself, building its infrastructure. Um, but that's also exciting in the fact that like, um, people like me have a lot of room to change a lot of things and a lot of precedent to set. So, um, and that is the, the epitome of success. Spotlight on Success and Achievement is brought to you by Wells Fargo. Together, we'll go far. And now, back to the Michelle Meow Show. Welcome back. Thank you so much for joining me today uh, during this program, the Michelle Meow Show, your A through Z, covering the LGBT, LMNOP, and everyone in between show. Our next guest, it's say, I, I can say that he's one of our own because he's here in San Francisco. He's a San Franciscan journalist. He's written a ton about sexuality and sex research for over 30 years, and he's answered uh, over 10,000 sex questions for Playboy. So that's um, 9,999 more questions than I've ever been asked about sex. So <laughs> he's definitely a, a sexpert in that way, but, um, but in-depth in terms of sexuality as well. So he's here to discuss in, an article uh, that was written over the controversy of bisexuality. So let's welcome Michael Castleman to the program. Michael, thanks so much for being with us. Oh, my pleasure. Thanks for having me. Now, this topic we can go on and on and on and on about, uh, which is interesting because there's there's a group of, obviously, uh, people within the community, I should say the LGBTQI community, who find bisexuality to be invisible. And then the, the worst part about that is there's, uh, you know, discrimination even within the community itself who... Um, may not believe that bisexuality exists. Uh, let's talk about that. Does bisexuality exist? Absolutely, no question about it. And all of the I, I was uh drawn to this to write about this subject because um I was so surprised that there was any controversy. Uh I mean I have known bisexual people and it didn't seem all that surprising to me and and uh and then to read that um there's doubt about whether bisexuality exists uh made me delve into the literature and uh satisfy myself that yes Virginia it does exist <laughs> um, uh yeah so let's let's touch on that i think that you know um 
if it sounds like I'm asking a lot of ignorant questions, there are all the questions that I've heard before, and that's in, inside and outside of the you know queer community. Uh, oftentimes, when you talk about bi visibility, you know when women talk about bisexuality, it's it's a, a little bit more accepting than say a gay man who may I or uh, I'm sorry I should not say a gay man but men in the LGBTQ community um, I feel like it's harder for for them to say that they're bisexual uh, can you touch on that a little bit well the the are the arguments against the, the people who say there's no such thing as bisexuality that they have generally advanced three arguments. One is that bisexuals are actually heterosexuals who are just engaged in youthful experimentation. And there's even a term for it. Women who are, um, who are uh, in college are often called lugs, L-U-G-S, lesbians until graduation. Mm. So there's the experimentation angle. And then there are um, uh, the other uh, second possibility is that uh, people are bisexual, they're actually heterosexual, but for whatever reason they find themselves confined in single-gender institutions like a prison, and they just use the people who are available. But they're actually heterosexual. And then there's the um, theory that they're actually gay or lesbian, but they uh, don't have the courage to come out, and so they pretend to, uh, they feign uh, opposite-sex interest. Uh, but, you know, <laughs> there are people who fit into all those categories. Right. Yes, there are some people who are just experimenting. Yes, there are prisoners who, you know, are uh, who uh, act uh, bisexual when they're really hetero. And yes, there are people who don't want to be stigmatized. But beyond that, there are real live people who are, in fact, attracted not to a specific gender, but to a person of either gender. Mm-hmm. And, the, um, and the research on this is fairly compelling. And, um, and, you know, there have been studies where they wire up, they get uh, um, gay people, self-identified, straight, gay, uh, and uh, bisexual people, and they wire up their genitals to... Um, detect arousal, Mm -hmm. and then they show them various types of erotica. And the um, straight people get turned on only by uh, exposure to opposite-sex stuff. The um, gay people and lesbians get turned on by uh, exposure to gay-lesbian video. And the bisexuals get turned on by, you know, everybody. Um, which, which causes another problem for bisexual people, which is that um, they, people who are um, dating self-identified bisexual people often think, oh my God, I mean, now there's twice as many people that this guy could lead me for. <laughs> so they, they get nervous that, oh no, you know, there's... I, I, uh, they get nervous about the longevity of the relationship because they, they assume that if someone can be attracted to both genders, someone must be attracted to both genders all the time and therefore be um, uh, promiscuous and, uh, you know, uh, engaging in orgies and just, you know, anything goes. 
the real the real lives of bisexual people are you know frankly a lot more nor vanilla than that i mean most bisexual people the, the according to the research that i have seen um, they do uh switch hit as it were so if they're dating they may date a man for a while they may date a woman for a while but by and large they do not do this simultaneously they are not uh engaged in you know uh, regular orgiastic uh, bacchanalian uh <laughs> You know, Caligula type stuff. Um, you know, they're, uh, bisexual people are are just like what what gay people used to say: "We're your father, we're your mother, we're your brother, sister, friend." Same thing. Bisexual people can be anybody you know. They are regular, average folks. Uh, they just happen to be attracted to a broader range of people than the typical person. Thank you so much for clarifying that. It's so interesting how the human mind works, especially when it's been socialized over time. It's like when you get into a relationship with someone, the first thing that pops up in your mind is not, who are they going to leave me for? I hope that when you are in a relationship with someone, you're thinking of other things, like how much you love this person um, over you know, their sexual orientation. Let's stick to some facts that uh, you know are, are here um, uh, in the article. That's featured on Psychology Today, by the way. Um, as far as bisexuals goes, in a survey, I guess, from the Centers for Disease and Control uh, from 2006 to 2008, it sounds like there's more women than men who may identify as bisexual. Is that right? Well, yes and no. Uh, when you ask people... Um, are you, you know, who are you attracted to? Are you gay, you're straight, or are you bisexual? More women say they're bisexual than men. Mm. But uh, as we have seen in the, um, as we learned from the AIDS situation, the, um, there's a lot more men who have sex with men than there are men who say I'm bisexual. Got and it. So, uh, in the in the AIDS situation, what was really quite astonishing at the time, and so we're here we're talking about the mid 1980s, so you know 25 30 years ago, um, was the number of uh, guys who turned up with AIDS, who um, who were mil- who insisted up and down that they were straight, they were married, they had kids, the whole thing. But you know, every now and then they would sneak out to a truck stop and or you know a gay bar and they would uh, indulge in their uh, you know bisexuality. Uh, so it's kind of hard to know exactly how many people are bisexual. Um, the um, bisexual women are more visible uh, and and much more visible to men because of the popularity of girl girl porn. Mm. where um, men watch two women uh, going at it, um, uh, usually orally or, you know, with toys, oh. uh, strap-ons and things. Uh, but, uh, you know, we really don't quite know how large the um, bisexual population is. And, the you know, the best studies are that it's in the range of um, 3 to 5% maybe, uh, I mean, you know, really, we don't even know how many uh, gay people there are because those right. um, those studies are also, um, you know, controversial. But there again, gay people seem to be in the five 
5 to 10% of the population, more or less, and bisexual people seem to be in the 3 to 5% of the population area. And um, But the other thing is that... Uh, uh, People who identify as gay or lesbian um, usually identify for life. They come out in their teens or 20s, and that's what they are. They're gay or lesbian. Mm -hmm. Bisexual people, it's a little more fluid. They come out later in life, and, um, and they leave bisexuality over time. Uh, the, the, uh, and there's it's not exactly clear why that's the case. But if you interview young people, how many are bisexual, it's a larger figure than people who will admit to bisexuality in, um, after 40, after 60. Uh, and um, it's not clear why that's the case. The general assumption is that um, society is either straight or gay lesbian. There, there's pressure, there's tremendous pressure on, bisexual, on bisexuals to choose one or the other. And um, as their lives go on, um, many of them do. And so they were bisexual in their teens, they were bisexual in their late 20s, but by 50, they have often um, uh, gravitated toward uh, heterosexuality or homosexuality. Michael, we're going to take a quick break right here, but when we come back, I'd love to continue our discussion about the controversy surrounding bisexuality, so stay with us, okay? The Michelle Miao Show continues right after this. Thanks for listening to the Progressive Voices Network, streaming the best in progressive talk 24-7. Keep the progressive conversation going on by joining our community. Each week, we send out an email that covers important things taking place in the Progressive Voices Network and throughout the progressive world. Be the first to know of upcoming shows, schedule changes, exclusive programming, and more. Simply go to ProgressiveVoices.com and sign up for our mailing list. It's that easy. ProgressiveVoices.com. Thanks for listening, and thanks for joining the Progressive Voices community. Babe. I think we're ready. We're really doing this. Yeah, I'm ready for our family. So where do we start? <laughs> Starting a family is a team effort, and when life needs a little encouragement, Pacific Fertility Center will be right by your side. As a unified team of the best fertility specialists, guided by the highest ethical standards, Pacific Fertility Center provides patients with compassionate fertility care. Visit PacificFertilityCenter.com. This is a true story about two best friends who fell in love and moved across the country to the city by the bay. After many years of dating, Jen and Jacqueline are now planning their dream wedding. It's a big moment in everyone's life when you say I do, especially when you can make choices for your authentic life and your loved ones too. Congratulations, Jen and Jacqueline. Live your authentic life. A special message brought to you by Weatherford BMW. And now, back to the Michelle Miao Show. Welcome back. Thanks so much for joining me here on the program. 
Uh, it is Monday, March 21st, and I'm Michelle Miao, your host. Our special guest today is the author of a wonderful sexuality book, Great Sex, The Man's Guide to Whole Body Sensuality. He's also a journalist right here in San Francisco and has touched on sexuality and sex research for over 36 years, Michael Castleman. And so Michael and I are talking about uh, his article, The Continuous Controversy Over Bisexuality, Michael, let's talk about, you know, bi- bisexuals, the stigma and the discrimination they face. I mean, what is life like for a bisexual? Um, I, I would say, I mean, even here in San Francisco, it's like all across the entire country. Yeah, well, uh, San Francisco was a pioneer in uh, in recognizing bisexuality. In the late 70s, a bisexual group was formed through uh, San Francisco Sex Information, and they published... Uh, a wonderful little newsletter uh, that was called the Bi-Monthly, which actually was a monthly, but it was called the Bi-Monthly. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, and the problem, you know, the uh, bisexual people face discrimination from straight people and from gay people. Mm-hmm. Straight people think, oh, they're really gay, they're just pretending. And gay people often think, they are gay lesbian but don't have the guts to come out and so they're cowards and um and like i said earlier for some people that's true for some people they you know they for whatever reason they don't want to come out as gay lesbian and they say that they're bisexual when they're not really but the fact is there are plenty of honest to god bisexual people out there who are really truly bi Right. And they um, uh, and the um, and the problem for them is that even though they make up say even if if bisexuals make up three percent of the American population, well the American population is three hundred million. That'd be nine million people are bisexual, and that's a whole lot of people. But um, compared with uh, gay culture, there's no bi culture. You know, I mean there are. There are, there are books about gay, lesbian, homosexuality, outnumber books about bisexuality, probably 200 to 1. Um, there are all sorts of uh, media for uh, gay and lesbian people. There are radio shows like this one. Um, but there really isn't a sort of bisexual culture. And so people who are bi often feel lonely. Right. And they feel like there's no real place for them, um, and uh, and the culture as a whole is not sympathetic to um, to their plight, their feelings of loneliness, um, because uh, so many people have uh, uh, negative um, opinions about bisexuals. There have been studies that asked um, straight people, "How do you feel about homosexuality?" And straight people, by and large, nowadays say, oh, it's a, you know, it's all right, it's fine, people should be who they are. Um, and then you ask straight people about bisexuality, and they go, well, I don't know, that, that's, I, I, I don't know about that. Mm. And then you ask gay lesbian people, and ironically, they feel sort of the same. And it's doubly, to me, it's doubly sad that uh, gay lesbian people are as... Um, uh, are as down on bisexual mm-hmm. folks as the surveys say that they are, because you would think that, you know, um, they would know better. Uh, 
members of a once stigmatized group that in some right. places is still quite stigmatized, that they would have a more open heart and reach out to uh, other um, uh, sexual preference minorities. But, you know, people are people and it doesn't quite work that way. And so bisexual folks feel um, that, uh, that they are uh, disrespected. Mm-hmm. Um, and the other thing about bisexuality that makes it complicated is that um, uh, it often takes people a long time to figure out that they are bisexual. The typical gay person comes out in their teens or early 20s. Uh, the typical bi person comes out in their late 20s or 30s. Mm. And bisexual people talk about having to come out twice. Right. Uh, they, the first time they come out, they come out to the realization that they're not 100% heterosexual. And then they struggle with that. Am I straight? Am I gay? Am I this? Am I that? And, and finally, by their late 20s or into their 30s, they realize, oh, my Lord, I am I'm bisexual. Uh, and so that's a difficult, um, it, it's hard. It's hard coming out as non-heterosexual whenever you do that. But for um, bi folks, they often talk about having to come out twice. Absolutely. And uh, I mean, I should say... And then say there's that. all the, yeah, and then there's the myth of bisexual promiscuity that we dealt with uh, earlier, uh, that people think, oh, they're, you know, uh, jumping into bed with uh, anyone who walks down the street. Not true. No, exactly. they're they're just like everybody else. They there's a range. There are certainly some bisexuals who are hypersexual, and I'm sure there are some bisexuals who are totally celibate. And in between is most of them. Mm-hmm. I I wanted to ask you for someone who uh, you know focuses on sex and sexuality and and its reference in your article as far as like the Kinsey scale goes. I'm, I'm I mean it's it's safe to say that the, the, the findings of the Kinsey scale, I mean, those are, you know, they're referenced for a reason. There's some, there's obvious, you know, accuracy to it, right? Yeah. Yeah. The, uh, what's really funny to me is that there's still this controversy over bisexuality when Alfred Kinsey and the Kinsey studies of the early 1950s, uh, showed that many people claimed to not be, um, heterosexual or homosexual. And in fact, Alfred Kinsey himself was bisexual. He was married to a woman and, and from all accounts, uh, happily married. And yet he uh, had many uh, gay flings and he was, uh, he was bisexual. And, and, the, um, and it's actually a good thing that he was bisexual because he included questions about bisexuality in his surveys that other researchers who were either uh, wholly gay or straight might not have done. Um, but he was, um, he was a pioneer in more ways than one. Got it. Yes. I, I, I want to you know, point that out because I feel like uh, maybe people have forgotten about the Kinsey scale and that there was a lot of research um, even after the fact that touches on sex and sexuality. Um, and, you know, now that yeah, post-marriage equality for some reason, yes, yeah, LG. And even T people are much more visible. 
uh, but bisexuals are becoming a lot more invisible, um, which is interesting to me. I mean, you know, the discrimination that the bisexual community faces oftentimes leads to depression, in which in the community we know that depression then leads to behavior that uh, is self-harming um, or, you know, can lead to things like addiction to alcohol and or maybe uh, even smoking more, and then you know, which then leads to health problems. All these things, it's, it's like a domino effect. Yeah, yeah. The, actually, the best thing that has happened to bisexual people in the last 30 years is the Internet. Um, the Internet is fantastic for any small group, any minority, any stigmatized minority. Uh, if, you're, if you're sitting there at home wondering, am I normal? Are there people like me? Am I, am I the weirdest person on earth? Um, and you find that, no, you're not. There are lots of people just like you. And um, there are a tremendous number of uh, bisexual, uh, there are, you know, thousands and thousands of bisexual web pages. And there are, you know, um, there are now uh, several national organizations uh, mm-hmm. uh, for bisexual folks. Bisexual.org is a good one, the American Institute of Bisexuality. Um, these are, have a uh, large Internet presence, and they provide a place for bisexual people to, you know, explore who they are and realize they're not alone. Mm-hmm. And they don't have to get into uh, the self-destructive uh, thoughts and behaviors that you were uh, talking about. Absolutely. Michael, thank you so much for your contribution to our show this uh, morning, as well as for the article that you've published. But I should say, I mean, thank you for your work. Well, thank you for having me on. appreciate it. If you'd like more information or to follow Michael's work, you can head to greatsexguidance.com where he publishes, um, and uh, he'll answer your sex questions too. <laughs> That's awesome. I'll have to go and ask mine. Um, wow, thanks so much for joining us here in the program. I can't believe that an hour has just gone by almost. Um, and uh, so, Dennis, you know what? I'm You put this show together. Great job. This is awesome. Appreciate it. I'm trying. <laughs> yeah, I it's, bet, you know, for someone like you, because, you know, what's interesting about the show is that uh, from a production standpoint, um, you know, Dennis, happily married for, what, over 30 years? Uh, yeah, closer to 40 now. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Congratulations. Married yeah. to a woman, by the way. Of course. Showy. You know, went through my bisexual stage. I kid. But, you know, the funny thing is we, we were talking about this last week and I asked you about it. Because there's straight people, you know, uh, straight people think bisexuality is just a gay person Mm -hmm. in disguise. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? You you know, well, wait a minute. If you, uh, you know, have sexual relations with somebody of the same sex, you're gay. You know what I mean? And so we talked about it a little bit. And when I was looking around, I found Michael's uh, uh, article online. And uh, he's he's a great writer. I mean, yeah. really a great writer. Besides the flat fact he was in Playboy, you know. But anyway, you know, which I only read for the articles back in the day. But, uh, but, but uh, yeah, I thought he was really enlightening. And, uh, yeah, so, so do you run into – you're down at Pride. Mm-hmm. Where is the bisexual contingency? Uh, the is bi- there one? There is a bisexual contingent. And, it, and uh, actually, I think there are numerous bisexual uh, or bi-pride contingents within the parade. Yeah. Um, and, and when I say that, you know, bisexuals are becoming invisible, it's just because, in my opinion, pop media is just kind of focusing on, oh, you know, gay and lesbians can get married now. Like, look at this. Or like, oh, trans people because Caitlyn Jenner or, sure. or whatnot. Um, but it would be... 
I think that the, the, more and more people should be out and open and talk about their fluidity, and there's nothing wrong with it. Sure. Well, I mean, you might say something for the for the whole. You know, he even mentioned Michael mentioned that. Uh, you know, if you ask straight people about gay folks, what do you think about people being gay? It's good to know that there has been progress, and people are like, "Hey, you are what you are." But yeah, I think with the transgender thing, and it's good that there's real visibility. Caitlyn Jenny, uh, you know, put aside her uh, politics, which are wackety whack as far as I'm <laughs> concerned. But but you know what I'm saying? There's a lot of that, but uh, people don't still don't understand everything from the LGBTQ and I community. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Straight mm-hmm. people are, but we're getting there. We're getting there. We're getting there. We're getting there. It's on your show open. (laughs) Thanks again for joining us here on the program. Uh, The Michelle Meow Show is on Progressive Voices Network Monday through Friday at 4 o'clock Pacific Standard Time. Then you can catch it on Sundays with B.B. Sweetbriar at uh, 12 noon. So we'll see you tomorrow at the same time, 4 o'clock.